you may miss it if you if you don't we don't look carefully enough and we don't we're not aware we might miss it kind of easy to pass through it it's a moment that happens once a year really twice a year but that's also part of the drasha it happens quickly and you could you could miss it sam if you don't have eve next to you keeping you awake saying sam beller wake up and see this moment it could just go right past you on 105th street so you got to be careful it's a remarkable moment and and it's it's absolutely radical nature is is something that that were we to miss it, we will miss something so vital in our understanding of Torah and understanding of what it is to be a Jew and what it is to walk the Jewish path that it bears repeating and it bears highlighting and lifting up and focusing on so that we might also in, in, embody it, live it, know when we aren't living it, know how we have been living it. So I want to focus on it this moment. But in order to really understand how remarkable this moment is, let's, I want to compare it to something that if those of you who are familiar with the Upanishads, this quote from the sacred literature of India will be uh, familiar to you. You also might find it in other places and other literature of the great mystical traditions. This is from the Upanishads. One unbounded ocean of consciousness became light, water, and matter. One unbounded ocean of consciousness became light, water, and matter. And the three became many. In this way, the whole universe was created as an unbounded ocean of consciousness ever unfolding within itself an unbounded ocean of consciousness. Carol, Brocha, I don't know about you guys, but when I was studying yeshiva, nobody said, did you know that the universe is made of an unbounded ocean of consciousness? I didn't hear it in any sermons at my high holidays in Great Neck. I didn't hear it certainly in uh, various places. I don't know how they missed this remarkable teaching from the Upanishads. Maybe they didn't study Upanishads uh, in various seminaries, in, you know, in the turn of the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries, who knows? But this notion of one unbounded consciousness, some of us can feel it, right? Marsha, Steve, we can feel that, right? When we say, Shema Yisrael, Shema Lekin, Hashem Echad, Echad, right? Oneness, unity. We can get on with one God. Maybe if we studied a little bit of Kabbalah, which, by the way, is a little bit dangerous. It's like a little bit of karate. You can get into a lot of trouble. But it's also, it's pretty good. A little bit of Kabbalah is better than no Kabbalah. But you study a little bit of Kabbalah, it's like, oh, it's all one, it's all one, it's all one, it's all one. And certainly, there have been moments in my life, more than moments, there have been seasons of my life, where that emphasis on unity, on the unum, right, right, from the one many, 
right, or from the many one, from pluribus to unum, that the unum became my, like the most important part of my life. We're all one. It's all one. It's all one. Waking up in the morning with achad on my lips, oneness, going to bed at night with oneness on my lips, from, right, from the unbounded ocean of consciousness became the three in the Upanishads, and from that, the many. But decidedly, the moment that I began with, that moment that we often miss, the remarkable beginning of the Torah makes a claim not on oneness, but on two-ness. The Torah begins not with an Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but rather it begins with the B, that a baby begins often their first syllable of B, the Bereshit, and it wasn't lost on the ancients, some of the earliest texts in our tradition ask this question, why would the Torah begin with Abet, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, whose numerical value, of course, is two. Instead of beginning with the primordial unity, the oneness of Aleph itself, the Alpha. And of the many answers offered, the simplest answer is this, that at the core of the Jewish tradition, is the notion of a partnership. When Heschel wrote his book, God in Search of Man, The Divinity in Search of Humanity, he was basing himself on a very profound midrash that at the end of chapter two, aren't really chapters in the Torah, but at the end of chapter two, the end of chapter one rather, the beginning of chapter two of Genesis, which we're about to recite, Asher bara Elohim Lasot. We're about to recite in the Kiddush, the text that ends the first chapter of the book of Genesis, where God finishes God's work and all of God's handiwork, all of milachto, and then all of the things, asher bara Elohim, that God created la'asot for doing, for making. And the rabbis in an early midrash taking off on the infinitive, the odd infinitive of la'asot, to make, say, what does it mean that God finishes God's creation with the infinitive verb? La'asot means to continue making. And says the midrash, because God says to us, okay, I'm up to here. Now you be my partner. Now you be my partner. Creation takes two. Creating the world takes two. It takes partnership, takes collaboration, reciprocity. And God invites us in the most radical theological move, not just to say that I am the Lord your God who has divine authority and fiat and power and knowing, but I am God who leaves room for you. Because you and me makes we. And we make the universe. At the heart of the Jewish tradition is a fundamental assertion of human agency. And by extension, at its core, even if not fully realized, at various moments in Jewish history, are the seeds for democracy. At the core of the first letter of the Torah is an invitation to bring your vote, to bring your voice. And at every moment of Jewish history, at every moment when Torah was being iterated and reiterated and fashioned and refashioned, applied and reapplied, that bet came back. I take this bet off my chest and I turn this Aleph, this unity, this unbounded consciousness into a conversation, into a dialogue, 
where we are not only listening for God's voice, but God listens, as it were, to hear ours and says, bring it, which also begins with a B. Bring it. Bring you. That bet, right, more than the Aleph at Sinai, the bet of creation also obligates. It obligates each and every one of us to not be a consumer of the world in which God has placed us to be a producer with the divine, to be hand in hand, to walk in the garden. And there have been times, of course, where we wish, as it were, to be swallowed by the unbounded consciousness. And in so many ways, an Aleph that doesn't go through the root of two is not a true Aleph. An unbounded consciousness that doesn't itself traipse over the difficult terrain of relationship is not the deepest Aleph. I can tell you right now that I know for myself that I am a poster child for what Robert Bly called, right, flyboys in his great work on, on, on masculinity and the male, right, the male consciousness in the 90s spoke about people who run away to religious ideology or run away to bliss, who find everything they need in transcendence, but it's really sometimes an escape from bet. It's an escape from two. It's an escape from conversation, escape from relationship. We can stare at a wall and become enlightened and feel the bliss of the universe. And the minute another human being enters our domain, all of our stuff comes up. The deepest work in this world often is the messiness of that. And also the opportunity of that. We couldn't have a more important moment to express that than in our collective bet, which is coming up in the coming weeks. We could not have a more powerful expression of this 2,500-year-old history of a moment that is too easy to pass over and too dangerous to ignore, that we must build the bet, the bayit, the house, with our obligation to the bet. The obligation to bring our voice, to bring our energies, to not give up on our agency. It's not up to us to finish the work. God said, I want you at least to finish the work with me together. We don't have to finish it, but it's an ongoing melacha. It's an ongoing asher bara Elohim la'asot. So the time is drawing down and the hour is nigh. And in a world in which our country is riven by betness that is of a toxic nature, a betness that allows us to have two completely separate towns and halls, a place where people can't speak to one another, of course, not saying who's at fault for that. We know who's at fault for that. We know who's to blame. But there's another way, there's a way that we return to the unim through the pluribus, through the bet. And so I know each and every one of you, you know how to walk this out in a couple of weeks and how to walk it out in the coming weeks in terms of phone banking and, and speaking to those right, who, 
who might themselves not realize how important their bet is and their participation in building a better bet. But on this Shabbat of Breshit, I didn't want us to alight over that little bet that could. That little bet that is often, right, just the beginning of the Torah, what's a little bet? But in that bet is the whole universe. There was even a tradition from the Gaon of Vilna, the great genius Elijah of Vilna, who said that in the letter bet, in the dagesh, in the little dot that's in the inside of the bet, he could tell you the story of the universe in the unity within duality, within unity within duality. So from the unbounded consciousness came not three in our tradition, but a bet, a bet looking for each and every one of us to say, I have to bring it. Every blessing begins with a B. And every vote does too. Here's to voting, here's to voices, and here's to the never-ending unpacking of that greater union to which we aspire through our bet, our voice, and our power. May it be so. Mm -hmm.